Hi, everybody. I'm so glad to be here. Um, I, I have fallen in love with your church, and, uh, and I love your pastor. He's an amazing man. You know that he's very trustworthy. And, uh, and uh, I told him yesterday, but, uh, and I was telling the people who are here for the Holy Spirit conference, you know, that, um, that the Holy Spirit's going to visit your church. And I believe that the revival is going to come by here. And that's not anything that's scary. It just means that there is going to be a, a powerful move of, of the Holy Spirit for healing and for the prophetic, meaning that hearing God's voice and hearing what he's actually saying to you about you, about your church, about your city, about the nation. And, um, and I just feel like your pastor is so ready to pastor a move of the Holy Spirit. You are in such good hands. Thank you, Pastor John. Yeah, so I'm here to, uh, I, m my name is Kim. Nice to meet you. Uh, I've been married 43 years. I have uh, three grown children, and I have six grandchildren, and they're all boys. Yes, I'm waiting for a little girl because, you know, as you can see, I, I like that kind of thing. Um, would you turn, please, with me to John chapter 4? And um, I loved that video. It was beautiful. And I love that you guys are in a series on scars. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about a woman who was scarred called the Samaritan woman, if that's okay. And so here's the reading of the word, uh, beginning in uh, verse chapter 4, verse 4. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, would ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered her and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is so deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well, and he drank from it himself, as it did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give will never be thirsty again. And the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And this woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. And so Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands. And the one that you are with now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said, and the woman said, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. 
For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know Messiah is coming. He's called the Christ. And when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. And so then the disciples come back, and they're talking, and the woman leaves her water jar. She goes away into the town, and she says to the people, come and see a man who told me everything that I have ever done. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town, and they were all coming to him. And now I want to skip to chapter 2, verse 39, uh, verse, uh, verse 35. Do you not say, Jesus says to his disciples, there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I'm telling you, lift up your eyes and see the fields. They are white for harvest. And already the one who is reaping is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. The sower and the reaper may rejoice together. And skip down to 39. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She was a scarred woman, you know. And she had a defining moment with Jesus. We are all being set up for a defining moment. The Bible is full of defining moments. Moses had the burning bush. Gideon was in the winepress. Isaiah had the vision of God on the throne. Jonah and the whale. Esther in the palace. David in the fields. Mary and the angel of the Lord. Peter, when he denied Jesus and was restored by Jesus, and God said, don't call unclean what God has made clean. Paul on the road of Damascus. And all of these men and women, they experienced a divine moment a defining moment in their lives when they met Jesus they encountered something new their lives were changed and they became who they really were meant to be and they then were sent out on the mission that really they were supposed to be about in their whole life and so the woman at the well you see the Samaritan woman she was ripe for a revelation and I believe that this church is ripe for a fresh revelation, a truth that she had not known before, that once something that once defined her past, by she was once defined by her past, her culture, her gender, but after this defining moment, she was completely different, just like Eric was talking about earlier. You know, a defining moment is an occurrence that typifies or determines all related events that follow afterwards. They are brought about by God. It's a God setup. A, divine, a defining moment is a divinely initiated time in the presence of Jesus that brings a fresh revelation of himself, a truth that sets us free, that brings a transformation in our lives and redefines who we are and what God's will is for our life. And God sets us up for them. You see, the defining moment for the woman at the well was a setup by God. It says Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Isn't that curious? Jesus doesn't have to do anything, but what he does is he only does what his father is doing. And so he had to go through Samaria because his father was leading him there. And he ends up at Jacob's well. Isn't this interesting that the well has a name, but the woman has no name? You see, the well was considered a holy place, a place that was a defining moment for so many. And what you need to understand is that, see, in the Old Testament, wells were places of significance. They were not only a community resource, for life and for living, providing water for sheep and for people. But they were places that became esteemed by an entire culture, a place of worship. And it was also 
known for a place where men would find their bride, the patriarchs would find their matriarchs. But the woman, you see, she is nameless. The, woman, the, the well is defined as Jacob's well. Jacob, you know, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But the woman, she has no name at all. She's nameless. Why? Because when there are nameless characters in Scripture, you see, we are supposed to identify. We are supposed to say she could be any one of us. She could be male or female. We, we are to identify with this nameless woman because she is nameless. Names in Scripture bring identity. They name destiny. But this woman, she is defined only by her gender and her culture. Everything was wrong with her. She was actually the wrong gender. She was the wrong social class. She's unnamed, but she's not unknown. The whole town knows her, and the whole town knows her past and knows her story. And it's the noon hour when she comes to the well. The noon hour is not the, is not the watering hour, actually. So she's avoiding something in her life because it's not the opportune time to come. It's not when the others come. It's not the social hour at the well. She can go there and she can be alone. It's not the community hour. It's the time of isolation. It's probably the time of condemnation because she is marked by some kind of personal failure. What we do know is that, the, that she is culturally insignificant because she's Samaritan, which is rejected by the Jews, and she is a woman, and so she is rejected mostly by the culture, and she comes at a time of isolation, so she's rejected by her community. She is marginalized, probably victimized, wounded, rejected, but she has a need, and Jesus knows it, and so he has to go to Samaria. He has to go to this well because he knows that this woman who has a need is going to be at the well at this very hour. This is what Jesus does for us. He knows your need. He knows the point at which you are very dry. He knows the point at which your life feels isolated. He knows the point at which you feel you have personal failure. And even today, right in this moment, he's saying, I have to come by there. I need to meet this people at the point of their need. He had to pass through. It was intentional because our Jesus is like that. You see, God desires to bring us all into a defining moment so that we can move forward in the direction of the true call that is on our lives. Our call really is not to just suffer in this life and then go be with Jesus in eternity. No, you have a mission to be about. You know, Jesus told all of his disciples, I'm going to send you out as sheep among wolves. He knew that we were going to have a hard time in this life. He even said, didn't he? Peace be with you, my peace I give to you. Because in this world, you're going to have what? trouble but he also told them I'll be with you and I'll be with you even to the end of the age he gives us everything that we need to be on mission with him even in the midst of our human experience that always that always will include some kind of personal failure 
that will always include some kind of ostracization, will always include some, include some kind of, of victimization, some kind of isolation, some kind of rejection. It's the common human experience. I've experienced it. Every single one of you has experienced. None of us live that charmed life that sometimes people talk about. But Jesus can change all that. And so Jesus draws the woman at the well into her defining moment to bring her face to face with herself. It's interesting because this passage is marked by three imperatives. Do you know what an imperative is? So in the Greek, when there's an imperative, it means that it's not just something nice that he's saying. When he asks her a question, he's just not saying, well, if you feel like it, I would like you to do this. No, it's a command. It means it's imperative that you understand what he is saying. This story is marked by three imperatives. The first one is give me a drink. The second one is go call your husband. And the third one is believe me. Isn't that interesting? You see, he's, he's drawing her in ever closer. But he begins with, give me a drink. He begins with, serve me. And her reaction is, excuse me? Who do you think you are? <laughs> you know, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How dare you ask me for a drink? I know you have no dealings with me. And then her second reaction is, is you know, you think you're better than Jacob? This is Jacob's well. Who do you think you are? You see, because when you have been victimized, when you have a past failure, when you are marked and defined by the failures in your life or by what other people think are the failures in your life, you're defensive, aren't you? How dare this man say, come and serve me? Don't you know that I'm a failure? Don't you know I'm a victim? Don't you know that I have a past? Don't you know there's everything wrong with me? Why would you ask me to serve you? But he does. And she has everything she needs to serve him in the way that he has asked her. You see, he says, give me a drink. This is a woman with a water pot at a well. All of her defenses come up. And when Jesus confronts us, usually for the first time, he does it in a way that all of our defenses come up. Why? Because he wants you to see. He's trying to expose to you. He knows already. This is not something he doesn't know. Jesus knows everything. He's God. He knows everything you've been through from the time that you were born. He knows everything that woman had been through. And he plans on healing us. And how does he do it first? He has to expose even to ourselves. Sometimes we're so used to living with our past and our failures and, our, and the way that we've been ostracized and marginalized that we just get comfortable with it. It's just the way that we live. And he has to bring it up so that it, it, and it brings up pain, doesn't it? And we don't like it. We avoid it like the plague. But he has to bring it up so that we can face it, so we can deal with it, so he can heal it. Give me a drink, he says. Well, I don't know who you think you are. She's indignant and she is offended. And Jesus does not acknowledge her offense. He's not going to argue with you. He never argues with us. He just reveals our ignorance about the situation. And he reveals what we have believed about ourselves and about him. You see, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was asking you, you would ask me to give you a drink. 
Have you ever noticed that about God? She did not really know her need. She did not understand that she was standing in the presence of God. She was having a visitation. Her defensiveness, her her cultural insignificance, her woundedness were keeping her from recognizing the time of her visitation, from seeing the one who wanted to save her and heal her and meet her at her point of need. And she did not understand the gift of God that he wanted to give her. You know, when I talk about revival coming to your church, some of you get a little bit nervous because you think it's going to be weird. But I want to tell you something. When revival comes to your church, you know what's really happening? The gift of God is coming into the house. The gift of God. It says the Holy Spirit is the gift of the Father, given and bestowed by Jesus Christ, the Son. And the Holy Spirit is God himself, the third person. He will not hurt you. He will meet you at your point of need. And he will do the miraculous, and it will be the most glorious thing that you have ever experienced. It's nothing to be afraid of. You do not know the gift of God. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the living water that he gives to cleanse and heal and fill and empower. Where do you get this living water, she says. You know, this is Jacob's well. You see, when you become defensive into all of those kinds of things, usually you think that people who are, giving, who are promising you something, they're not going to be able to deliver. So she doesn't really trust him yet. And then he gives her a second command. He's, he's audacious, our Jesus. He's audacious. And he says to her, now go call your husband. It's like, you would think that he would say something nice, like pet her a little bit and lead her, you know. And, and, but no, he wants to get right to the point. I have come here as a setup to bring you a defining moment so that you can know who you really are and what you're really supposed to be about in your life. Go get, go get your husband. This is the second imperative. It wasn't a nice ask. It was, you need to go get your husband. And she says, and we don't know why she's had five husbands. You know, scripture isn't clear. We often assume that she's been divorced all these times, but they could have died or they could have been abusive and left her and abandoned her. She could be just an abandoned woman. And she's been abandoned so many times. Why should I believe you now, Jesus? Go get your husband. And now she has a choice to make. I'm either going to get real right here or I'm going to lie. It makes no use to lie to God. He already knows the truth. You might as well just get real. And so she says, well, you know, I don't really have a husband. And then he tells her everything about her. And so then his last imperative. See, she, in order to tell the truth, she had to, she had to stop clinging to her pride, to her survival mode. You see, because right now Jesus is meeting her at her point of deadness, the deadness of her reputation, the deadness of all of her disappointment, the deadness of her resignation, the deadness of her isolation. Oh, yeah, he's greater than Jacob and Jacob's well. okay, and he was going to bring her living water because this is what he wanted for her. He wants her to have the Holy Spirit and to have salvation because that will well up within her. That word well up in the Greek is leap up. You see, he's going to bring a leaping up. You see, he's going to restore her joy. He's going to restore her hope. He's going to restore her life. 
because what she's living right now is not really living, you see. She's just surviving. How many of you right now, you've been through so much hardship. You've been through so many things. You've been so disappointed. You're just surviving. You're just going through the motions. You forgot what it's like to have joy in your life. You forgot what it's like to laugh and have, and have some, have enjoy the life that you've been given. God wants to restore that. He wants to bring you something new. And so he says, woman, believe me. The third imperative. It's a command. Believe me. Now, believe me. Get your faith on. Allow yourself to stop protecting yourself long enough to open yourself up to faith in Jesus Christ who never, ever disappoints. Never disappoints. He calls her to faith and to worship. The hour is coming and now is here when true worshipers, they're going to worship by spirit and by truth. By truth, the word of God, the truth that sets free, but also by the Holy Spirit, the gift of God that starts to well up inside of you into unto eternal life. The living water, and you know what it says in Ezekiel 47, everywhere the river goes, the river that flows out from the temple, don't you know you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? It says so in Corinthians. Paul tells us that in his Pauline corpus. The the river flows out from the temple in Ezekiel, and everywhere it goes, there's life. This is what's supposed to be inside of you and me. This is what he wanted for this woman. He didn't want her living in deadness, dried up anymore. He wants her to live her life according to his plan and purpose for her. And that means that she is not an ostracized woman, an outcast woman, living just barely making it, just barely alive, just, just living in survival. No, he wants her life to thrive and don't you know her real identity is an evangelist this is the call that was on her life she's supposed to be on mission she's supposed not to live defined by the scars in her life no she's supposed to allow those scars to become a witness to Jesus and his goodness and his greatness and his ability to heal and restore and meet us at our needs And so, woman, believe me, and we know that she does. How do I know? Because it says she left her water jar. She went away into the town, and she said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything that I have ever done. No longer am I ashamed of my scars, personal failures, rejections, wounds. But now I have a testimony of Jesus, and it says the entire town gets saved. This is her testimony. This is her witness, full of the scars of her life circumstances, the failures of her past, the futility of her quest for significance apart from Jesus. Now she's been healed, delivered, set free. Not because she's done everything right. Not because she was good. Not because she read her Bible or she led a small, a band, you call it. Not because she did any of those things, but because for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that through him they might be saved. Didn't Jesus say to every disciple for every age, 
Wait until you have been enclosed, clothed with power from on high, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and to the uttermost parts, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Peter said that when the Holy Spirit's poured out, it's for each and every one of us from generation to generation for all eternity. Jesus talked to the woman at the well, the woman full of scars. I want to give you living water. Will you receive the gift of living water? And I want to give you this gift, but I also want to call you to face yourself and the things that you have been through. And I'm going to allow your defensiveness to come up. I'm going to allow some of your excuses to come up. I'm going to allow some of the pain to come up, not because I want to call you, cause you pain, but because I want to heal you. Because I have something more for you. Because your life is not to be about just survival. Your life is supposed to be about witness. Your life is supposed to be about witness. Every single one of us have a story to tell, just like this woman who gave her beautiful testimony. We all could tell a story. And this is our witness. And didn't, doesn't it say in Revelations that we overcome him? Who's that? The darkness and the devil in the world. By the blood of the lamb, Jesus died for us. That's called the atonement. All the work that he did on the cross, his life and death and resurrection for us. By the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. Not even loving our lives, even if it means death. And so the word of your testimony is important to your city. It's important to your family. It's important to our nation. This is how we spread the good news of Jesus Christ so that other people who are the women at the well, full of scars, in isolation, feeling rejected and ostracized, marginalized, and every other kind of hard thing that they are going through who are dried up in the world, they can see the living water that is welling up inside of us and the joy that we have, even though that we have been through some hard, wounding things, but we have been healed, and they can say, I want that Jesus too. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Some of you in this room right now, I have exactly, I think, two minutes, yes? Some of you in this room now, right now, um, I feel like, you know, they talked about scars, and she talked about lies that Jesus told, and I agree with that. You know what happens is that we become marginalized, not so much by what we've been through, what other people say, but the lies that we have believed. And I feel like the Lord is saying today that there are those of you in this room that you still, there is still a lie that has become like a line in the sand, and you can't seem to move forward. You are stuck in that lie. And that is how, why you are still living a life that is really um, just barely surviving. And there's no joy and there's no hope. And you're just going through the motions until maybe that time is over. Some of you may be so full of anxiety or depression. And someone in this room I know is having suicidal thoughts. And I want to tell you today that that lie, it's a lie from the pit of hell. It's not what Jesus says about your life. And it's not what Jesus is saying to you. He wants to heal you of that. And I want you to identify the lie right now in your mind. And then I want, to see, I want you to see yourself in your imagination. And this is okay. It's not magic. But we don't, we don't have 
the time to do all the motions, but I want you to see yourself stepping across the line. And I want to pray for you for that right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, oh, you love your people, God. You have, you have so much more for each and every one of us, God. So much more than survival. So much more for us than isolation. You want to meet us at our point of need. And you want to do that, God, so that you can heal us. So that you can fill us. And then so that you can send us out. So that others will know that you want to meet them at their point of need. And fill them and send them. And this is how you're going to take over the world. This is what revival is. So, Father, right now, in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, would you just come and, and meet your people at their point of need? Help them identify the line. Help them step across the line that's been drawn in the sand and say, no more. I will not believe you anymore. Instead, I'm going to believe the imperative of Jesus that says, believe me. So I want you to just repeat after me just for a moment. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before you right now and I give you the lie. I give you the deception. I give you my anxiety. I give you my hopelessness. And I give you my need. And I invite you to come in a fresh way and help me move forward to become fully the person you intended me to be and then send me out to others. Thank you for healing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for having me.